Hi everybody, I'm Jordan and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least, except that's not what we're doing today. We're doing another one of those uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books with Doug. How's it going, Doug? Good, how you doing? Good. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you on here. Now, Doug is one of the people with our fabled lost episodes. We did a couple, like in the transition period between the old recording style and the new recording style. There are a handful of episodes that were unfortunate victims of me not knowing what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and Doug was very nice, and, and he came on, and he talked about Scream 2 with me, and it was a great conversation. And unfortunately, simply a victim of me fumbling my way through the beginning. And so instead, Doug is here to do one of these Choose Your Own Adventure books. I'm really excited about it. Honestly... Of the options, I think that Doug picked the most exciting one. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the cover and I was like, yes, this one rules. <laughs> the one that we're talking about today is straight up called You Are a Monster by Edward Packard. <laughs> and boy, let me tell you, this cover, it just immediately screams good things. It's like a classic 60s, 70s kid looking into a mirror and there is... I, I can't like a half werewolf kind of thing, like staring back at him. Shirt is ripped in the reflection, not in real life, which I think is interesting. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens if we turn into this werewolf at all. I don't even know if that's a if that's the desired <laughs> ending or if that's the the bad ending. But we'll see where this takes us. You ready to go, Doug? I am all set. Great. Uh, oh, also, uh, I should say that just in terms of format, how we're going to handle this, I imagine that we'll probably die or hit a bad ending or something. And so same as the other ones, we're going to do a couple of runs through. We'll reverse back in time as needed <laughs> to uh, stop our own demise, but we'll, uh, we'll just see where it goes. You Are a Monster by Edward Packard, illustrated by Judith Mitchell. We get a second monster picture immediately, except this is like a saber-toothed cow. This is pretty sweet. Great illustrations so far, but basically the point is that it just says, uh, don't don't read this straight through. Okay, okay, wow. No, wasting no time. So a lot of the other <laughs> ones, I've been like, all right, wow, we really need to like wait on this thing. Here we go, we're jumping in. <clears throat> the blue Mercedes screeches to a stop beside you. Get in. The heavyset man wearing a black Homburg isn't kidding. Before you can run, a man jumps out of the back and shoves you inside. The car speeds off. None of the passing motorists notice it. You've been kidnapped. Wedged in the back seat between two thugs, you try to think about what you can do. Look, you must think I'm someone else. Some rich kid you can get ransom for. Shut up. We want you. The muzzle of a 45 jabs into your side. <laughs> the Mercedes swerves around a corner headed towards an outlying district. Blindfold pulls tightly over your eyes. You are looking curious, a voice says. It must be about ten minutes later when the car stops and you hear a door opening. Get out. A firm grip is on your arm. When your feet touch the ground, you tear the blindfold off, twist out of the man's grip, and start to run. Clunk! A gun butt comes down on your head. You're out cold. Turn to page 68. Probably... Uh, the most intense beginning of one of these Choose Your Own Adventure <laughs> books that I've ever experienced, which, by the way, uh, it's so abrupt that it totally threw me off. I didn't even ask, Doug, what's your experience with Choose Your Own Adventure books? Were these oh, was this something that you grew up reading? I read a bunch of the Goosebumps ones. Classics. I really enjoyed those, but uh, I've never read any of the, like, the straight Choose Your Own Adventure branded Choose Your Own Adventure books. Right, the real deal. All right, well, you're in. Uh, clearly you're in for a hell of one here, <laughs> <laughs> so... All right, let's turn to page 68. 
You wake up in a bed, your head aching. There's a lot of equipment around. Everything is made of shiny stainless steel. You wonder if you were hit by a car on your way home from school, taken to the hospital, and just had a nightmare about being kidnapped. A thin, slightly stooped man with tightly clipped beard enters your room. Something tells you he is not a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about that little bump on your head. He says, he says in high, hope, sorry, George. <laughs> I'll, I'll do stage direction. Too. All right. This will be like classic theater here. <laughs> theater of the mind. Don't worry about that bump on your head. He says in a high pitched nasal tone. You are a perfect subject for our experiment. My name is Dr. Hendrik Nair. You sit up feeling even more frightened than when the gunman pulled you into the car. The inventor of Nair. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of experiment? What are you talking about? You're going to get rid of my hair? wears short shorts (laughs) the man steps closer he fixes his eyes on yours have you ever heard of genetic engineering genetic transplants you're too stunned to answer well you're going to learn a lot more since i'm the greatest expert in the field you'll be my most important patient oh no you're not going to touch me you're out the bed looking for a way out maybe through the window Action. So much action right away. (laughs) Dr. Nair holds up his hand. His thin mouth lengthens into a smile. It's too late. I've already implanted you with the genes of a young gorilla who was himself implanted with the genes of a giant bear. (laughs) Okay, so let's dissect this. We're two generations in already. You've got bear genes and gorilla genes mixing in with your human genes. All right. And Dr. Nair is now also going to intentionally make me hairy? (laughs) Now, that's ironic right there. What? Now. Dr. Nair interrupts in a brisk and business-like tone. Someone will bring you dinner, some books, and a TV set. I want you to feel relaxed. Before you can reply, this strange and terrifying man walks out the door. A lock turns. You run to the window. You're on the second story of a rundown old brick building. The window faces onto a paved inner courtyard. Two cars and a truck are parked below. The building encloses the courtyard except for the entrance, where an armed guard is posted. There's a bathroom attached to your room. You look inside, but it offers no means of escape. Your heart sinks. It's not going to be easy to get out of this place. Then the real shot comes as you glance at your arm. (laughs) They seem thicker and longer than you remember, and a downy growth of dark brown hair has appeared on the back of your hands. Turn to page 81. Also, you'll notice that in this picture, the one place there isn't hair is uh, the back of your hands. (laughs) It's all the wrist. They're like furry armlets. Hands like elf. You're so depressed. (laughs) You You just sit on your bed and stare at the wall, thinking about the terrible mess you've fallen into. Through the days that follow, your body changes in ways almost too horrible to describe. Your captors bring you all the food you need, which is a lot, because you're always hungry. The whole time, you're too scared to even look at yourself in the bathroom mirror. Pain. That's the worst part of it. You can hear your bones cracking as they grow. Your muscles are growing, too. They ache as they stretch to keep up with your bones, especially your arm bones, which are lengthening and thickening the most. Your skin is expanding, trying to cover your widening body surface. Sometimes it's stretched so thin you're afraid it will split, but it always seems to cover. If you were just growing up fast into an adult, that wouldn't be so bad. It's the way you're growing that frightens you. You're becoming much more massive than any human, much broader and thicker and stronger. That's why they've boarded up your door with three-inch oak planking. 
It's also why they stopped feeding you through the door after the first few days and started throwing food in through a hole in the ceiling. Jesus. This is escalating. That was page three? Four, maybe? Zero decisions. It's all just, this is happening to you. It's true. Zero decisions. We're already at the point where we're a hideous monster being fed through a hole in the ceiling. When you look at the thick, coarse hair on your body, you feel like crying. That's nothing compared to the feeling of two long canine teeth, sharpest spikes growing out of your face, and the massive brows overlapping your face like a ledge on a cliff. A ledge on a cliff, Doug. (laughs) Your your captors don't even talk to you. They don't even show their faces, though you've pleaded with them by shouting when they throw down food or yelling out the window. You've even roared like a caged lion. You're as strong as a lion, too. You can throw your bed around the room with one hand and shake the wall so hard that plaster falls from the ceiling. But the walls hold, and so does the door. Turn to page nine. Still no decisions. (laughs) Oh, no. Every day you keep growing. It's near the end of your first three weeks. Jeez. Three weeks we've been here, no decisions yet. A a real fun uh, illustration here, though. It's near the end of your first three weeks when you first bump your head while walking into the bathroom. It doesn't hurt. It just knocks a strip of wood off the transom. I don't even know what a transom is, but you're knocking wood off of it. And it's this fact, bumping your head, that makes you realize you've been pretending you're still the regular normal kid you were before. Finally, you dare to look at yourself in the full-length mirror on the back of the bathroom door. Incredible that you've managed to avoid a full-length I, mirror. I was just going to say, yeah, how have I been avoiding this mirror? I've been shaking all of the walls in this room. For three weeks. Close my eyes as I approach that mirror. It's, you know, it's. It, I think maybe it was like uh, he allowed himself to really see it, and finally his <laughs> eyes have unclouded. And there you are, or there's part of you, for you have to squat and wiggle from side to side to see all of yourself. You let out a scream that rattles the windows and echoes through the yard. Your body is as massive and hairy as a gorilla's, but your face is far more frightening. Your black-capped snout is like a grizzly bear's. Your jaws and two sharp, curved fangs remind you of a saber-toothed tiger, and your huge, overhanging brows look like that of a hammerhead shark. Worth noting... Those things were not included in the DNA that he allegedly injected in you. So I guess that's just a side effect is you randomly get other DNA in you. If you had to pick one of these afflictions here, which one are you going to take? I mean, I'm I'm a cat person, so I'm probably just going to go full saber tooth tiger. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the snout is kind of appealing to me, but... I think I could also make massive and hairy as a gorilla kind of work. I'm already pretty hairy, and I'm already pretty big. So it's really just, like, more of the same. So I'll probably, I will I would probably go with that. But I definitely can respect going with the giant fangs. That's pretty sweet. Nobody wants to be a hammerhead shark, though. No. It's not Jawsome. Not Jawsome at all. <laughs> not Jawsome. You slap at the bathroom door. It flies off the hinges. The mirror shatters. You roar in agony and rage. There's no doubt what happened. You are no longer the person you were. You are a monster. There it is. They finally said it. I am the titular monster. How could anyone do this to you, you wonder? What kind of man is Dr. Nair? He's the monster, not you. If only you could get a hold of that evil scientist. You roar. If you've become a monster, you may as well make the best of it. You smash your shoulder against the heavy door of your bedroom. That wall shudders and shakes. 
Plaster falls from the ceiling. The oak plank groans and cracks. You smash a great fist against the wall and punch right through it. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> you raise a leg and smash the door, and it's supporting timbers into the hall, splitting the two-by-four beams as if they were twigs. It's loose, a voice screams. Dr. Nair runs out of a room at the end of the hall. I warned you we couldn't hold it. <laughs> he yells at the other man, who had already run out of sight. You charge after him. Dr. Nair bolts and races down the street. You're not far behind. By now, you must be stronger than any man on Earth. But you're no faster a runner than most. I like that they just brush past you like the strongest man on Earth. But now, there's like, yeah, but you're friggin' slow as hell, asshole. <laughs> you can't run. <laughs> By the time you reach the courtyard, Dr. Nair and two other men are jumping into the blue Mercedes. The From the very beginning, you remember. The engine starts. You grab the bumper and lift the back of the car off the ground. The engine roars. The car is front-wheel drive, and it goes into motion. Damn, they friggin' thought of everything. Wow. You try to get a better grip, but the car races ahead, leaving you clutching the bumper in your claws. You run outside the gate in time to see the Mercedes disappear around the corner. Turn to page 10. Still no decisions to be made. I've yet to choose this adventure. <laughs> oh, okay. At the end of this page is a decision. <laughs> Another car is traveling fast down the road. Best to keep out of sight for now, you think, ducking behind a thick clump of bushes. Peering through the branches, you see that the car is a police car. So is the one behind it, and the one behind that. They're stopping in front of the house. One car blocks the entrance. Two cops jump out. Each has a hand on his holster as if ready to draw. They must have been tipped off about Dr. Nair and figured out that he's the one who kidnapped you. But they showed up too late. If only they found out about you three weeks ago, you'd still be the happy, normal kid you were, instead of the weird, hulking monster that you are now. You hear a cop yelling from the inside of the courtyard. One of the others pulls his gun. Should you come out of hiding and explain what happened? After all, the cops are on your side, except that if you show yourself the way you look, one of them just might blow you away. This I'll, Okay, so obviously it's up to you, Doug, but feels like an obvious decision here. I mean, yeah. The choices are, if you come out of hiding, turn to page 87. If you stay hidden, turn to page 14. Why don't you walk us through your decision here, Doug? I mean... I <laughs> I'm really. I'm gonna have to stay hidden, right? I cannot yeah. risk getting shot. I'm gonna get blown to pieces if I if I come out of hiding. Yeah, for sure. They didn't give you good running ability. You think they gave you bulletproof skin? I don't. Yeah, think so. probably not. They didn't give you the Luke Cage treatment. So you stay hidden in the brush while the police search the house. You have nothing better to do, so you practice learning to talk again. Your mouth has changed so much. Your tongue feels as if it's tied in knots. The cops seem to be taking forever. You wonder what they thought of the splinters of wood they found upstairs where you smashed down the door to your room. Finally, they come out, muttering amongst themselves. They drive off, but you know they'll be keeping a close eye on the place until they find Dr. Nair. Meanwhile, you've got to figure out what to do. You need as much food as three grown men, and you don't have any money. Maybe, maybe someone would take you in as a pet. You could go home, of course, but your family would just be too broken up to learn you've been turned into a monster. For now, it seems better to have them just think you've run away. That See, that would have been a good choice to have us make. If we go home or not. All that I'm picturing is like that scene from Big when uh, oh, yeah. Tom Hanks is big and he goes home <laughs> and his mom thinks that like he's some creep. That's what that's what would happen right now. Yeah, you're not wrong. But that always seems like a little unrealistic. Like if let's think about if this monster came up to you and very calmly was like, hey, I'm your son. 
It would be like, I'm your son. <laughs> I'm your son. I'm your son. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I would react. I, part of me, part of me feels like I would be like, uh, why else? Like, it, unless a monster was my son, why would it come up and be like, hey, I'm your son? You know, but. Regardless, you decide it's better to have them think you ran away. You wander along, keeping behind hedges and walls. You're in the richest part of town, and most of the houses are set well back from the road. You've only gone a short way when you have to duck through a hedge to keep from being seen. You almost run into a woman cutting flowers in her garden. Turn to page 54. Ahik! <laughs> Ahik! The woman screams louder than you thought anyone could. She starts running towards her door, yelling for help every step of the way. A maid opens the door and sees you. She screams even louder than the woman who was cutting the flowers. You know the cops will soon be on their way to that house, so you cut back through the hedge and lope along the side of the road at a good clip, not even trying to avoid being seen by the cars and trucks passing by. You keep your eyes on where you're running, but you hear the horns honking, brakes screeching, and people yelling out their windows. You cut down a side street. There aren't many houses here, just woods and fields on one side and a huge rolling lawn on the other. Scattered here and there around the lawn are enormous trees. Beyond the lawn, perched on a knoll about a hundred yards from the road, is a huge house made of brick and fieldstone. It has six gables, four chimneys, and a red tile roof. Four chimneys. What could that possibly be necessary for? Must be nice. Yeah, they're not even separate either. It's like a menorah. It just like branches out into four. And uh, beyond this mansion is more lawn and then thick woods. The people who live here must be really rich. You race across the lawn, keeping well away from the house. You figure that if you can get over the rise ahead and reach the woods, and you can keep clear of the cops who will be swarming the place where you first were spotted. Turn to page 101. Wow, I that's a illustration there. Am I being mauled by dogs? It seems that way. We shouldn't skip ahead. Yeah, the hounds have been released. As you near the top of the rise, you stop to rest behind a big oak tree. You're out of breath. Strong as you are, you're not in the best physical shape because you've been locked up in that little room and not getting enough exercise. For three weeks, eating like garbage, right? Yeah. Like, I've been... Look, all I'm saying is that he, he could have spent that time on self-improvement instead of just Give me a pull-up bar. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Just yeah, just throw that down the down the, the sky door there. <laughs> You're beginning to relax a little when you hear furious barking. Two big German shepherds are running straight at you. Urgh, you roar. They keep coming. One of them leaps high at your throat. You catch him in midair and cast him aside. The second dog hesitates. <laughs> Smart dog. You advance, arms over your head, your claws waving over the attacker. Urgh. The dog lies down cringing. <laughs> the other, I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> the other comes towards you, whimpering with his tail between his legs. Good dogs. You pat each of them. They wag their tails. Okay. Successful interaction. I got two new friends, it sounds like. Hell yeah. Turn to page 16. You continue on over the brow of the rise and across a spacious, sloping lawn, graced with magnificent trees. As you walk past a sprawling copper beech tree, a voice calls down from above. I see you, monster. You try to find who's calling down from the branch and find a girl, perhaps 10 or 11 years old. Do not change that voice. (laughs) (laughs) I see you too, you answer. Do you live in that big house? Uh Uh-huh. The girl replies. My name is Amanda. (laughs) Vandercraft. And I like you. Like me? That's amazing. Everyone else hates me. 
Why would you like me? You didn't hurt my dogs, Amanda says. <laughs> so I know you're a nice monster. She jumps down from the tree and lands a few feet away from you. You're nice, but you're ugly. You hang your head. I know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. This is the worst meat cute. Yeah. <laughs> she reaches up with her little hand and touches your right paw. <laughs> I've I've read all about you in the newspapers. And you're on all the news programs on TV. The police are looking for you. Classic way that 11-year-old girls refer to TV. <laughs> you're on the news programs. <laughs> My stories was interrupted. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I know. Why haven't you gone home to your family? I don't think they could handle it, you reply. Knowing their kid has turned into a monster. I see what you mean. Says Amanda. Well, you can stay at our house for a few days. We have lots of room and plenty of extra food in the freezers. It's up to you. Your parents wouldn't mind. I think I can talk them into it. Amanda says firmly. I also just realized that I'm basically like just doing Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> you're grateful for Amanda's kindness. At the same time, you're feeling a little homesick. You're not sure what to do. If you decide to accept Amanda's invitation, turn to page 65. If you decide to go home, turn to page 55. Okay. First real decision here. I was going to say, this feels like an actual decision that could have, like, sprawling Yeah, yeah I think this has major implications. Until this became a choice, I didn't suspect Amanda. <laughs> I now think that she's trying to kill you. I do trust this dame, so I'm going to say, let's accept the invitation okay. to Amanda's house. All right, page 65, here we go. Thank you, Amanda. I'd be grateful if I could stay at your house a few days, you say. Your new friend leads you up the hill and across a beautiful, closely cropped lawn. The German shepherds fall in step behind you as you walk past marble statues, a triple-tier fountain, two clay tennis courts, a Jesus. row of 12-foot-high lilacs, and then onto a secluded grass court in which is set a large swimming pool lined with Italian marble. Tables and chairs are set out under the huge umbrellas, but no one is in sight. You continue on past the cabanas and the sauna and more fountains, and finally reach the great brick mansion that Amanda calls home. You sure have a nice place here, you say. <laughs> Amanda smiles at you, then points to the driveway, surfaced with pink-tinted pebbles. You gaze admiringly at the sleek red Saab 9000 Turbo, the silver Rolls Royce, and the shiny new bright green Porsche. Daddy's home. Amanda cries happily. Come along. He'll be very excited to meet you. You reach down and touch your paw to Amanda's arm. Wait a minute. Don't you think you ought to warn him first? Amanda looks you up and down. Mostly up. Yes, I see what you mean. Wait in that cabana till I have time to warn my parents and calm them down. Turn to page 109. You have to hunch over to fit in the cabana. There you wait anxiously, wondering whether Amanda's parents will be as friendly as she has been to you. You just hope no one will open the cabana door. You couldn't not be frightening, even if you tried. The minutes pass. You begin to wonder whether you should stay in the cabana. For all you know, Amanda's father has called the police by now. Then you hear sounds outside. Come on out. It's Amanda's cheery voice. <laughs> <laughs> you throw open the door and blink your eyes in the sunshine. Standing on the terrace are Amanda's parents, the butler, the cook, and the maid. You hang your head, sure that they will all scream or worse, call the police. Mrs. Vandergraff throws her hands up and lets forth a little gasp. <gasps> the maid and the cook grasp each other for support. 
The butler backs up so fast, you're afraid of falling in the dang pool. Turn to page 114. Amanda's father, however, steps forward and holds out his hand. Mm, Charles Landegraff's the name. Amazed with how nice he is, you gently shake his hand with your paw. Mm, you certainly are a monster, all right, he says. But Amanda has convinced me that you're a good monster, so I'm willing to have you stay here for a while as our guest. Amanda introduces you to the others. Hargraves the butler will show you to your room, she says. After you've rested a while, perhaps you'll join us for lunch. The room Amanda leads you to is a luxurious suite with velvet curtains, oriental rugs, a beautiful paintings on the wall, a TV, VCR, stereo, and a bookcase filled with lots of good books. You can hardly believe your luck. Wow. Just take a gander at this picture here. First of all, something that they haven't mentioned, big old tall butt. (laughs) (laughs) That is a huge butt crack on this monster. Crack for days. Also, you've got... You know, it said you have, like, a bear nose. This looks more like a weird pig monster up here. I don't know. She she looks like a normal kid, though, I guess. Like, a uh, little little Grady twinsy, perhaps. But, you know, rich people. Am I right? <laughs> I can't believe this room has a VCR that I can use all by myself. VCR and a stereo. Incredible. This is truly living the high life. I'm not going to go home. I don't know if that's an option, if I can just <laughs> stay in this house. Yeah, yeah, just murder them and take their house. <laughs> you are a monster, after all. Turn to page... 58. The next three weeks are very relaxing. The Vandergraffs couldn't be nicer. The cops have given up searching in the area. You've grown stronger than ever, feasting on everything your monstrous stomach craves. And you've gotten into a terrific physical shape, racing the German shepherds around the grounds. Amanda has even taught you to play tennis. She started out beating you every time, but lately you've been smashing the ball down the line so hard you can't even reach it, much less get it back over the net. Stupid 12-year-old little girl, try beating a monster at tennis. (laughs) On the other hand, she still beats you in the swimming races in the pool. Your monstrous arms churn up lots of waves and foam, but they can't move you through the water as well as human arms could. Miss Vandergraft has been giving you French lessons. Your strangely shaped mouth makes it easier for you to learn to speak French than English. And Leonie, the cook, has taught you how to make what she calls monster pie. It's mostly chocolate. All in all, life couldn't be more pleasant. But still, you're restless. Great as life is, you know you can't stay with the Vandergrafts forever. The other members of the family know this too, and one evening, all of you discuss it at dinner. Turn to page 11. I've been thinking about your future, says Mr. Vandergraft. The way I see it, you can never really be happy, never lead a normal life, unless you can be turned back into yourself again. But how could that ever happen, you wonder aloud. Well, for one thing, there's a new unit at Federal Hospital specializing in genetic change. That's a very, very specific unit at the hospital. (laughs) But the director, Dr. Forenzi, is practically a genius. He might be able to return you to your normal self, but I don't have to tell you. It may be risky. If it doesn't work, Mr. Vandergraaf's voice trails off, but you don't have to hear his words to know what he was about to say. He's thinking that you might end up in an even more monstrous form than you're in now. What could that possibly be? Just like a puddle of goop? I don't. Yeah, I don't know how this could get worse. I mean, I, I do know French now, so... Right. That's pretty cool, but... I don't know. Also, why can't you stay with the Vandergrafts forever? <laughs> I don't know. It's already been three weeks. What's another, you know, couple more years? Seriously, they're like, they're like, oh, it's just, like, it's accepted. Everyone knows you can't stay there, but you literally were like, maybe I could get someone to adopt me as a pet. I found Boom. the one family that's super into cryptozoology. Like, yeah. this seems like a perfect fit. It sure does. 
Still, so far, no this seems to be going pretty good. <laughs> Turn to page 89. Why get Dr. Firens? Amanda inquires. Why not get Dr. Nair? Who would that be, dear? Her mother asks. He's the one that caused all this, Amanda says. If we could catch him, we could make him undo his evil work. Mr. Vandergraaf bites his lower lip and shakes his head ever so slightly. Maybe. Maybe. But how could we trust Dr. Nair to do what we want, Miss Vandergraaf asks. Amanda looks fiercely around the table. We'll make him. Mr. Vandergraaf looks at you. Well, okay. So, first of all, here are the decisions. If you agree to enter Federal Hospital, turn to page 62. If you ask the Vandergraafs to hire detectives to find and capture Dr. Nair, turn to page 67. I will say that while the decisions have been few and far between, that the actual decisions that they're asking you to make seem much more genuinely impactful than they have been in a lot of the other ones. So, worth noting, at the very least. But... It's up to you now. What, what are you thinking? What's going through your head right now as a monster? I, I really want to see uh, Dr. Nair get his. I yeah. really think that if we can find have some detectives find him, I think Amanda's going to play bad cop and like smash his head against the table until he talks. Bring, bring him to justice. Yeah. Where are the other drugs going? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Turn to page 67. I think you've made the right decision, Mr. Vandergraaf says. You're too fine a person to spend the rest of your life as a monster. I'm going to hire one of the best detectives in the country to make sure we find Dr. Nair. I can't think. Oh, I totally lost this monster voice. <laughs> Rutrow. <laughs> yeah, Rutrow indeed. I can't thank you enough, sir, you reply. During the following days, you wait anxiously for news from Xena Hearn, the detective hired by Mr. Vandergraft. One morning, while you're playing soccer with the German Shepherds, you hear Amanda calling you from the patio of the East Wing. The detective says she's found Dr. Nair. Amanda calls as you come bounding across the lawn. Come into the drawing room. Zena Hearn. <laughs> just turn it into Coach Steve from Big Mouth. Zena Hearn wants to talk to you. Uh, you follow Amanda through the guest quarters, then through the library and the great hall, then through the living room and into the drawing room. There, standing by the grand piano, is a rosy-cheeked woman with frizzy reddish-brown hair. Pleased to meet you, she says, holding out her hand, which you touch with your big scruffy paw. <laughs> Zena Hearn doesn't look like a detective, but she certainly seems agreeable. You sit on the floor, so you'll be the same height as Zena Hearn is while she's standing. Amanda tells me you think you found Dr. Dare, you say. <laughs> Turn to page 38. I already forgot the voice, but I'm just going to go for it again. Yes. Sorry, we're <laughs> shortly enough in that she's still changeable. <laughs> yes. He's living at the house in Elm City, <laughs> about 50 miles from here. My men tracked him down by tracing purchases of lab equipment. He set up a lab in the house he's bought. And if I'm not mistaken, it's only a matter of time before he kidnaps someone else and turns him into a monster. If only I could get my claws on him, you say. <laughs> this is his picture. Xena holds out a Polaroid photo of a man standing on a front porch of a large white house. Well, that's not Dr. Nair, you exclaim. I'd recognize him anywhere. Xena smiles. You were fooled, just <laughs> as the police were. You, you dumb idiot. You this man is a genius. He was able to give himself just the right injection of genetic formula to cause his face to change. Incredible. They have no idea what <laughs> genetics 
I think this book is being written while we're reading it. <laughs> then how do you know it's Dr. Dare? Voice analysis. Zena says. We got, <laughs> we got a hold of a tape of a speech he made at the university a few years ago. Before he took up his criminal ways. Then last week, we made a tape of his voice when we reached him on the phone. Computer analysis of the two was conclusive. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible, you say. It's good news for another reason, says Mr. Vandergraft. It means that Dr. Nair has gotten so advanced in his methods that he could probably turn you back into the person you were. But how can we make him do that? Mr. Vandergraft makes it look sterner than you've ever seen him. We'll make him, he says. Really getting a lot of mileage out of that. <laughs> <laughs> of ending on uh, on a we'll make him. Cliffhanger, I guess, in quotes. Turn to page 64. The next morning brings you your chance to confront Dr. Nair. You're sitting across from him in Mr. Vandergraaf's office. Two plainclothes security men stand on either side of the evil scientist. You want to shred him with your claws, but he looks so different. Thin-faced with brown eyes instead of blue ones. That you can't believe he's the same man. But as you watch him fidgeting in his chair, you observe the same evil expression on his face, the same gestures of his hands, and then he speaks that same high-pitched nasal voice. What do you want of me? He squeals. Let me go. I have my rights. Zena waits until Dr. Nair has calmed down. You're gonna, you're going to turn the monster back into a person. Dr. Nair's eyes dart nervously around the room. I'm not sure I can. Uh, Mr. Vandergraft, who has been standing quietly in the back of the room, steps forth. You'll do it, Nair, and you'll succeed. Otherwise, there's no future for you. None whatsoever. Dr. Nair winces. He looks furtively around. Two of Vandergraft's detectives are blocking the door. All right, he says. I'll try. Oh, that was you. I apologize. You want to you give that a dramatic reading? All right. He says softly. I'll try. Wow. Lovely. I think Dr. Nair is on uh, Vandergraaf's payroll. I would believe it. I would definitely I think believe that's it. What, I think he's threatening his career. Turn to page 52. Once again, you lie writhing and moaning while your body undergoes horrendous changes. But this time, though the experience is still frightening, you feel hope. You can feel your short snoutening, your body shrinking. Your two-inch-long fangs fall out, and your new, normal teeth come in. That's how it works. I've had three <laughs> sets of teeth now. <laughs> Shaggy hair falls off your body. From time to time, you brush it off your bed. I also would love to point out the fact that they don't mention it, but you would still have all the flappy skin from being enormous. So you would just be like a puddle of loose skin. You reach... <laughs> You reach the point where you're half monster and half human. Then nothing more happens. I hope it doesn't stop here, you think. But soon you begin changing again, faster than ever. Only a few days later, Xena, all the Vandergrafts, and Dr. Nair himself, still under guard, are once again standing around your bed. Everyone is smiling, even Dr. Nair. Amanda has brought a big mirror into the room. You look into it and grin. You're you again. You scream with delight in your regular voice. Ah! You're still a little weak and shaky, <laughs> as if you were just getting over the flu, but you've never felt happier in your life. A nurse rolls in a cart, and you all celebrate with cake and ice cream. What the actual fuck? <laughs> Incredible. I, I still have the appetite of a monster, you say. You look as nice now as you used to look nasty. Amanda, you looks like the German Shepherds aren't the only dogs in that house. <laughs> oh, 
shit. What was Miss Vandergraaf's voice? It was stuffy. Now, <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we going to do? No, that's your voice. <laughs> shit. Uh, you know what? She just gets a whole new voice. Now, what shall we do about Dr. Nair? Asks Mrs. Vandergraaf. We certainly can't just let him loose, Mr. Vandergraaf says. I have a better idea, you say. Turn to page 39. They don't know what that means, dude. <laughs> if there are genetic transplants technique that can change one's bodies, you say, there must be ones that can change one's personality. Isn't that right, Doctor? Why, of course. Dr. Nair says, squirming as he speaks. He acts more afraid of you now than he did when you were a monster. Then you shall transplant yourself. Not to change your body, but to change your personality. From that of a psychopath to that of a decent human being. But I can't do that. You must, Mr. Vandergrass says sternly. Dr. Nair lets forth a squeal. Uh. <laughs> As if he had been stuck by a pin. What's so bad about becoming a decent person? Amanda demands. Amanda demands. Amanda demands. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Nair's eyes widen. He looks at her imploringly. My brain! No! I can't change part of my brain without changing all of it. I would lose my skills at genetic manipulation. Mr. Vanderaff steps up to the strange little man. That's just as well, Doctor. That's just as well. Turn to page 76. We made, oh shit, we made two decisions. Come on. Well, okay. You know what? We've reached a, a stopping point. <laughs> Dr. Nair has been turned back into an ordinary person. After spending several years in jail, he begins a new career as a shoe salesman. Weird pivot. Right? And you're back home again. Your parents are very glad to see you. Of course, they heard about the monster, but they never really believed such a thing could have happened to you. Your mom says she missed you so much. She'd have wanted you to come back home even if you were a monster. Your dad says it may have been just as well that you waited until you could be changed back. Oh, and maybe oh, even oh you God. should have stayed away. <laughs> <laughs> it would have broken our hearts to see you that way, he says. But everyone agrees that it's all worked out in the end. And that's what counts. Tomorrow you'll be starting school again. You've got some catching up to do. But one thing's for certain... You've learned all you need to know about monsters. The end. Woof. Two real decisions, but Doug, <laughs> we did it. We made it to the end uh, very successfully, I'd say. No real issues besides getting turned into a monster at the very beginning. Yeah, which was, um, you know, super inevitable. I mean, I was just thrown in the back of that car instantly. Right. I don't know about this one. We've gone back in time just to see what happens if you come out to the cops. Uh, so we've reversed a little bit. You hear another cop yelling from inside the car courtyard. They're investigating. You're in the bushes. If you come out of hiding, turn to page 87. That's what we're going to do. You lumber out from behind the bushes. Your fangs exposed full length as you try to smile. Rookie mistake. You may look like a fierce monster, but you feel more like a frightened rabbit. Sure, you could bash a police car flat with one slap of your paw, or grab a cop by the arm and hurl him across the courtyard and finish off another with one chomp of your super powerful jaws and then do a suplex on another and then a backbreaker <laughs> on the fifth one and then you could just take down the whole damn town. <laughs> but you couldn't stand up against a hail of bullets. <laughs> That's what the cop behind the car blocking the courtyard must think because he sends a bullet whistling past one of your sharply pointed ears. You freeze. 
any other reaction would mean instant death. <laughs> because at least a half a dozen cops are now crouching with their weapons leveled at you. Hold your fire! The chief orders. The red-faced man with a fancy brawn insignia on his lapels steps forward. Just what are you? Some kind of alien? Turn to page 26. You try to answer, but your mouth is no longer the same shape as it used to be. And all that comes out are grunts and garbled words. Can you understand English? Wow. Look at this picture here. <laughs> They're crouched on top of one another. That's some real human shield action going there. <laughs> but you nod to the police officer, the police chief, fire chief, police chief. Uh, he takes off his cap and scratches his head. He looks around at his men as if hoping one of them will suggest something, but they all seem equally dumbfounded. Okay, the chief says after a while. Robertson, take your squad in and search the place. Mullen and I will take this creature back to the station house. <laughs> you answer. Three cops move in with their guns ready. You have no choice but to step into the van. You sit quietly on the floor. There's nothing you can do. A heavy mesh wire screen separates you from the cops. You're sure that you could smash open the door and jump out, but what would be the point? Sooner or later, they'd capture you and either shoot you down or lock you up behind bars that even you couldn't break out of. You're depressed. It's bad enough being a monster, but not being able to talk and explain things makes it twice as bad. Ah, can talk. I can talk. You say, struggling to form words that once came so easily. One of the cops whirls around. Hey, you can talk. That ain't talking, the other one says. <laughs> You'll have to practice when you're alone. You just got to learn to talk once again. Turn to page 20. So, not murdered immediately. Yeah, if I would have trusted the cops, I could have learned to talk a little bit earlier. I wonder yeah. if I'd learn German or something in this scenario. Okay, but if you friggin' look a little further down here... Uh, jump ahead. What about my civil rights, you say? You have no right to keep me locked up. Okay, see, this is what I thought. <laughs> Police commissioner shakes his head. The fact is, you have no civil rights, he said brusquely. They only apply to people, and you're not a people anymore. You're a monster. So, there you go. You don't trust the police here. You get friggin' murderized or taken into custody and stripped of your human rights. After a, a week, it says here I was there for a week now. Yeah. Wow, it's um, it's something for sure. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna call this a success, Doug. I don't know how you feel about it, but I uh, mean, I have all my extra lives. I'm yeah, still, I I, I won. I beat this game. Yeah, I, I yeah, we speed ran it. In fact, we definitely speed ran it because not only did we not lose any lives, but we for real got to a good ending. Yeah, I'm really glad that I got to meet Amanda also. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I, I do wonder if maybe something different would have happened, if like if they would have wound up being evil, but I guess we'll just have to maybe come back and take another crack at this one since we actually completed it. Um, who knows? If you guys enjoyed this one, let us know, and we'll uh, maybe we'll come back and do an, uh, a round twosies on it, and uh, <laughs> Amanda will make her triumphant return. Doug, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, why don't you tell the people where they can hear slash find you? Thank you for having me. I do a podcast with my friend Kaylin called The Geekery Radio Hour, based on my comic book store that I have in Madawan, New Jersey. You can find the store at 133A Main Street in Madawan. You can find our podcast at The Geekery Radio Hour. And uh, it's on all, you know, your podcasting platforms. I definitely encourage people to check it out. They definitely have a similar sort of vibe in terms of, like, 
positivity. It's very hard, I feel like, with horror and comics to talk about it without being gatekeeper-y, and I think that you guys do a really great job of sidestepping that issue and making it very accessible for people who are not maybe as versed in comic books as uh, some other people. So, really great job that you guys are doing over there, and of course, uh, we have a fun episode of my show coming out with Kaylin about Killer Clowns from Outer Space, so look forward to that. Did you, uh, Twitter stuff, too? On Twitter, I'm at Dumplestiltskin. And the show and the shop. Oh, and the shop is uh, yeah across all social media. Thank you, George. The shop can be found at the Geekery NJ. And thank go. you for your kind words. Honestly, that's our mission statement with the store. Even is that comics are truly for everyone, and there's literally something for everyone. Your grandma can find a comic book that she could enjoy. Grandma Hef, <laughs> hit, up, hit up the Geekery. But yeah, so. Uh, Definitely, of course, go check out uh, the Geekery Radio Hour. Uh, you can find my show. You're already listening to it, so I imagine you know how to find it. But make sure you're subscribed if you're not. And leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That would be nice. Also, Stitcher. And, uh, yeah, check out the website, littlehorrorphl.com. That has links to all the socials and the store if you want to buy some merch. And that's pretty much it. So thanks again, Doug. Bye.